May the peace of our Lord be with you. Six years ago, I stood in this pulpit for the first time and delivered my first sermon outside of a seminary classroom. I stood here with my knees shaking, a trait I inherited from my mother, and delivered a sermon on the Trinity. It, like today's sermon, was titled The Community of God. And like today, it focused on the passage from 2 Corinthians, one of today's lessons. I was afraid for three reasons. One, I had never done this before. Two, I didn't know you all very well yet. And three, it was Trinity Sunday. I've delivered a sermon 20 or so times now, so I'm a little more comfortable with that. I know many of you very well, but it's still Trinity Sunday. Saying a sermon on the Trinity to a bunch of preachers, whether fresh out of seminary or getting ready to retire, is kind of like saying Mufasa to the hyenas in The Lion King. You know, Mufasa is the king of his domain, strikes fear in the heart of the hyenas, whose loyalty lie with Mufasa's brother, Scar, the villain of this Disney classic. There is a scene in which the hyenas are plotting with Scar, and one of the hyenas says, Mufasa, and the others, shivering with fear, say, Say it again, say it again. I had a similar experience this week when I learned that I would be preaching this morning. A sermon on the Trinity. Say it again, say it again. Trinity Sunday. Difficult to preach, perhaps. A reason for celebration, certainly. Today, with churches around the globe, we adorn the church with the white vestments of celebration and we exalt the triune God, our Creator, Jesus, our Redeemer, and Holy Spirit, our Sustainer, one being, three persons. In Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, the Corinthians had fallen prey to the problems that plague many communities of faith. Corinth had been taken over by what Paul says is quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Over the last half of this letter, Paul has aired Corinth's grievances, and as he draws to a close, we reach his sign-off. But this is no sincerely yours, or yours truly. After the verbal thrashing of the last several chapters, the Corinthians and those listening in on Paul's letters could rightly expect anger from Paul. When he begins with farewell, brothers and sisters, we might suspect a dismissal. But Paul is not dismissing his beloved Corinth. Instead, a number of sources suggest that this word would be better interpreted Rejoice or cheer up, brothers and sisters. 
after the deluge of rebukes, recriminations, and self-justifications, the Corinthians might have preferred the dismissal. The parting of ways is often easier than working towards reconciliation. Paul seems to anticipate the Corinthians' next question. How? How do we rejoice when our bickering has left us joyless? How do we cheer up when we've left ourselves with little to cheer about? Paul answers the anticipated question by encouraging peace and unity. In verse 11, he writes, Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Paul tells the church at Corinth to pull themselves together. This would seem like a call to the impossible if Paul did not finish verse 11 by reminding the church that the God of love and peace will be with them. Nothing less than the source of love and peace could bring the church and Paul together. Paul often closed his letters with the imperative of verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. This precursor to the kiss of peace we sometimes exchange was given on the shoulders and forehead, a familial expression. Though Paul often closed his letters this way, it seemed to serve the dual purpose of reminding the congregation at Corinth to treat each other like the family of faith that they are. Paul's final words to the church are one last push for reconciliation. He closes with the following from verse 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. A Trinitarian farewell. Paul must not have been aware of how difficult it is to preach the Trinity. He must not have been aware that this dynamic monotheism that is the center of our Christian theology is so difficult for us to wrap our minds around. We know the basic formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, three in one, three what's and one who. We can even quote the idea that God is one divine being, eternally existing as three distinct persons. But we often allude to the mystery of God when it comes to the Trinity, or we simply ignore the concept altogether. We struggle to teach our children about it. Trust me, I know. The images we lift up to teach about it don't quite do it justice. And why would we want to engage this concept? The Trinity, after all, caused the first and greatest schism between the Eastern and Western Church, a line of division which still determines religious life in the present. Yet today, Trinity Sunday, we must engage with the concept of the Trinity, and Paul's letter points us down that road. Paul was not speaking, not strictly speaking, Trinitarian, in the same sense that we might be Trinitarian, since much of that theology had not been developed. However, Paul, along with other early Christians, braided together the strands of Jesus' lordship and the Spirit's presence while also worshiping one God. In essence, they were Trinitarian. 
In the case of Corinth, they were also in need of an example of how to love each other. In his book, Theology for the Community of God, Stanley Grins writes this. Viewed theologically, God is love refers first of all to the intra-Trinitarian, say that three times fast, relationship with the eternal God. God is love within God's self. The Father loves the Son. The Son reciprocates that love. And this love between the Father and Son is the Holy Spirit. In short, through all eternity, God is the social trinity, the community of love. If we are to be the image of God, then we must live in this community of love. A community modeled after the one that has existed between our creator, redeemer, and sustainer eternally. My undergraduate degree was in mathematics. I love mathematics. I love that there is an answer to most mathematical problems. Math and theology are different in that way. I love theology too. But sometimes, maybe even most of the time, in theology, there isn't an answer to the problem. Math and theology are different in another way, too. In mathematics, 1 equals 1 and 3 equals 3. In theology, 1 equals 3 and 3 equals 1. As we read Paul's final words, we recognize the relational nature of God. God is three persons living in relationship, in one being. A relationship so unified that it can in no way be separated into three distinct entities. If we transpose this idea onto the body of Christ at Corinth or onto the church universal, we are shown how we must live in community within ourselves, within our family of faith, and within our global context. William Willimon suggests that if we say, I love myself, we are speaking in a triune way. God is a loving parent to a child, and that child returns love to the parent within one being. Taking time for inner examination and growth, loving ourselves, is critical to our function within the community. If we do not love ourselves as God loves God's self within the Trinity, then the overflow of that love does not reach the community of faith. And if we do not love each other within the community of faith, as God loves God's self within the community of the Trinity, then that love cannot overflow to the community around us. Paul has already called the Corinthian church and the church universal to pull ourselves together, to be of one mind. What I am trying to say today is that we already have the perfect model for that. Our triune God, who, was eternally, who has eternally lived as creator, redeemer, and sustainer in a community of love and grace, one being, three persons, 
has modeled for us that which God has called us to, a life of compassion demonstrated to ourselves, to our community of faith, and to the community around us. The lesson from Genesis this morning shows God creating humankind in God's own image. If we can see that spark of our creator in one another, then we can see the Trinity in how we live together. I think I've seen it this week. In the liturgist who carefully selected and wrote words for this morning's bulletin so that we might all worship together. In the man who carried the sausage biscuits and boiled eggs to the Billy Brumfield house for all of us. In the caregiver who showed up to the hospital with a child's favorite snack after the child had surgery, so she would know that she is loved by her family of faith. In the Sunday school class, gathered at the graveside of their classmate's brother. In the volunteers who taught our children that they do not need a cape to save the day if they are led by God's love. Over six years of at Northminster, I've seen models of the Trinity, models that so clearly express the community of God in ways that words never could. I literally have nightmares about getting into the pulpit unprepared. Sometimes it is to preach, and sometimes it is to pray, and this week it was both. I know the grace of this place, and I know the weight of the responsibility I feel towards God, the gospel, and this beloved family of faith called Northminster. Since I became 50% of the pastoral staff in December, Chuck and I have had a couple of conversations about what would happen if he got sick on Saturday evening or Sunday morning and I had to preach with only a few hours to prepare. Chuck's advice was to say what you know, to which I replied, well, that's gonna be a pretty short sermon. <laughs> Stand up, give and receive the peace of our Lord, say, God loves us, amen, and sit down. <laughs> The Trinity is difficult to preach because there are a lot of ways to get it wrong. But here's what I think I can say with certainty. The Trinity cannot be defined with our limited vocabulary because it's about a love that is too big for our minds to imagine. It's about a relationship with our God who is never alone so that we will never be alone. And it calls to the deep in us, teaching us through example how to live in relationship to one another, how to be, in essence, the community of God. 